0: I'm Nat Finley. And I'm Adele Herman. You
1: are listening to And We Go On, a podcast produced by She Unites.
0: We are a nonprofit located in Dubuque, Iowa, with the mission of uniting women from across the Midwest to build a stronger community through engagement, genuine conversation, companionship, and supporting causes that matter.
1: Our vision for the show is to continue the conversation had at our monthly educational events for women by women.
0: And now we go on. Hi, I'm Nat Finley <laughs> and I'm Adele oh, Herman
1: and we are so excited, um, to be here again with you guys, uh, with our podcast and we go on and we have a special guest here tonight. Uh, Megan Amos.
0: Yay. Oh. Yay. <laughs> Hi.
1: Um, thank you. You're so welcome. <laughs> I'm so excited for her to be here. I'm, we're going to let her introduce herself. Um, just because we are so excited and, uh, she can do a way better job at introducing herself and all of her like amazing credentials. <laughs>
2: Uh, My name is Megan Amos. I am a licensed mental health counselor here in Dubuque. I have been practicing for a little over 10 years. Um, I own a small clinic, um, Compass Counseling and Behavioral Health. We have been around since late 2016 and we serve a population of adults, mostly some teenagers, some adolescents, but primarily adults, um, individuals, couples, and a pretty big population of women in the perinatal phase of life.
0: Very cool. Uh, so Megan was one of our speakers in our first year of program, and She spoke in November of 2021. Um, and she talked all about boundaries. And it was probably one of our more highly attended events that year. Um Just, I think there's just so much information on boundaries we could touch on. Um, but we really wanted to expand upon that conversation in this episode with Megan. So the topic that she spoke on were was that was what boundaries are
1: and how we set them. So Mm -hmm. kind of in it was, you know, right around COVID. Kind of walk us through one how you kind of prepped for that and give us a little, you know, if someone were to come into your office and talk about boundaries, what kind of
2: what would you start with? That is a big question. So boundaries (laughs) is a huge topic. And I I remember specifically saying that night at She Unites that, I mean, I would need a lot longer than an hour. We could talk (laughs) for days. And when I find a client in my office who needs to be addressing boundaries, it is never one session. It's weeks, months. (laughs) Typically speaking, if somebody is in therapy for any reason, but boundaries is not Area of concern in their life, they didn't get there overnight. It's been possibly years of concern in relationships, not knowing how to set boundaries, not knowing how to maintain boundaries, maybe feeling taken advantage of, maybe getting caught in that people pleasing trap, um, maybe downright unhealthy relationships because of just a poor understanding of boundaries or unhealthy expectations growing up or unhealthy messages that were sent to them growing up. So a uh, long answer to that is, or I guess a short answer to that is that it can take months or years sometimes for people to really kind of figure out how to set boundaries and how to maintain them. It's not just about setting them. Right. Setting is often easier than maintaining. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it people are tempted after they they kind of get the hang of, okay, well this is my limit, here's how I want to communicate this to someone. Depending on what kind of feedback they get, it's really easy all of a sudden to see them kind of roll that back and maybe fail to maintain boundaries because it it can be scary. It changes relationships, it changes your perception of yourself and others, it changes how you interact with people. And mm-hmm. so particularly for those who are maybe getting some negative pushback, that maintenance part is the hardest.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Some of the different, I know when you spoke, you talked about different boundaries. Um, Can you kind of label those briefly, just those different boundaries and how to, I would say maybe identify them?
0: So there are
2: several different types of boundaries, kind of the three primary types of boundaries that we discussed in that talk were physical boundaries, resource boundaries, and then mental and emotional boundaries. So of course, physical boundaries is, is your, your person, right? Your physical space, your personal space. Um, you know, these are kind of your, your bubble kind of issues. Mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes we see little ones struggling with physical boundaries. Um, not knowing when to give other people space, when to stop touching, how far to push things. Um, Some barriers to setting physical boundaries are a lack of physical autonomy in childhood or the belief that your worth is tied to your appearance or your body. Um, That's obviously a really big one in our culture, particularly for women. um, If they've been sent that message their entire life that their value is directly tied to appearance, a lot of times they are more likely to have weaker boundaries with regards to their physical space in order to please others, in order to get attention, in order to be viewed as attractive or worthwhile.
0: Um,
2: resource boundaries have a lot to do with kind of identifying what your limits are when it comes to the time, the energy you have to give others, um, extending yourself creatively, financially, socially barriers to this is that inability to say, no, we often see again, a a people pleasing attitude. Um, kind of that perception that in order to be seen as someone of value, I need to make myself indispensable. I have to always be there. I have to be the go-to friend or I have to say, yes, I have to be the best caregiver kind of attitude. I know that to my core, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I feel like being a two on the
1: enneagram and just being an extrovert and being a people pleaser for so long. Like Mm -hmm. I know that to my core. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like that was probably one of the hardest lessons I had to learn in my twenties.
2: Well, and if you learned that in your twenties, then good for you. I should say late (laughs) twenties. Still, (laughs) yeah, in in that decade. yeah. Yeah, it takes people. I mean. I have 30, 40, 50 year olds in my office trying to figure Mm, that out. Yeah. um, Last category was that mental emotional category. And, um, this one is, I think obviously one that I see a lot in my office, but, um, it's that overarching good girl mindset. I have, again, it's, I have to please, um, that I'm responsible for the emotional state of others. If other people are unhappy, it's my job to fix that. Mm -hmm. Or I have to keep the office, the family, the friend group running, operating smoothly. Um, so it comes from the mindset that it's my job to please others. I think that's super common
1: in women. Absolutely. And I wonder like, when does that start? Like, I mean, do you see a certain age of when that kind of like, you know, that you know, is it that
2: young adolescent? Is it that teen? Or is it, you know, is that? Well, think back to messages that maybe you received even, you know, as a toddler or a preschooler, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, we are often from the time we are little categorized as little girls, particularly little girls, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, boys have certain messages that they struggle with too, but that be a good girl message. Mm, yeah. It oh, is for sure. profound and it is pervasive and it is everywhere. Mm-hmm. You may not have had caregivers who directly sent that message of, Oh, be a good girl. But I assure you at some point in your lives, you've heard that message mm-hmm. or it has been made explicitly clear to you. Um, you know, One thing I struggle with is hearing people say that to my own daughters. Um, I have two little girls. One just turned four, one just turned two. And I hear, you know, well-meaning family, friends say things like, oh, you're such a good girl. Or the other one, which isn't necessarily totally tied to boundaries, but I think still is relevant. Um, The, oh, you're so pretty, or you look so cute today, right? Those are the messages that are sent to little girls all of the time mm-hmm. you're such a good girl Well that message then the message thats actually relayed is whatever you're doing right now I like meaning if you would do anything different I wouldn't like it This is what good is this is what bad is mm-hmm. it it creates this distinction and then of course what does a two three four five six seven 12 14 16 year old want well they want to please they right. we are born instinctually longing to please our caregivers and those around us. Mm -hmm. Some of that goes back to survival, right? Right. Um, Our survival 300,000 years ago depended on being liked and accepted. If you weren't liked and accepted, then you weren't a part of a group. If you weren't a part of a group, it became much harder to hunt, gather, stay warm, protect yourself from predators. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're, we're, really kind of digging in deep here when you look at all of the messages that women face, but ultimately even that tendency to compete with other women, somewhat instinctual, right?
3: Yeah.
2: Um. It's all about survival. And so back to that, m- those messages that are sent to us from the time we're little, Um. it's all about people pleasing. How many times did you both growing up here, we'll just be nice, right. right? All the time. Just be nice. Well, oftentimes that's that message is delivered and it unintentionally is telling someone, go against what you're actually comfortable with or don't listen to your instincts. Mm-hmm. Just be nice.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's a problem. Totally. I feel like for narrative, like the
1: narrative that I was telling in my head for a long time, telling myself, if I show up and I'm quiet and I look pretty, mm-hmm. everything will be fine. hmm like that was mm-hmm. a, a narrative that I told myself long for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I really didn't have a voice until probably, you know, for, for a long time. Like I didn't ever, I didn't push, I didn't push questions.
2: I didn't ask questions. I did what I was told.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And in order to be liked, accepted yeah. and considered to fit in that good girl mold.
1: hundred percent. Mm -hmm.
2: And if you ever did push back then ask a question or say, no, we're left with guilt or Mm -hmm. shame or, okay, well now what are people going to think of me? Mm -hmm. But also on that same hand,
1: I was an athlete. So like I had competitive drive. I had emotion, Mm -hmm. like, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like that, I would say that emotional battle inside my head was a very constant thing. Cause like you want to be that pretty girl that shows up too. Mm-hmm. And the kind girl that shows up too, but I'm also an athlete. Mm-hmm. So like, I felt like there was like this in between that I was always kind of swinging, um, you know, to be like, Oh, I want to be the pretty girl and the nice girl and the one that shows up. But I also, I want to compete
2: and I want to win. <sighs> And you, you should work really hard, but you shouldn't be too aggressive and you shouldn't be too competitive because that's not attractive, but you need to look a certain way while you're showing up. I mean, all of the messaging, right? It's It's exhausting. It's contradictory. Um, And it, it follows us from the time we're little um, what's expected just behaviorally, right? again, be a good girl, be quiet, listen. I mean, again, how many times I'm sure I know I did, but did you guys hear, um, Mm. well, because I told you so, Mm. or just do what I do what I've asked or do what I've asked the first time. Those are all really common, common parenting messages sent to kids. But what that does again, it teaches children not to trust their own voice. It teaches them to follow. And of course there's a fine line. Should we listen and respect what is asked of us from authority figures? Mm -hmm. Yes. But also I think our generation in particular is learning it's, it's actually okay for our kids to ask questions or to say, no, I'm not comfortable with that, um, to challenge us. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that we really see that, that ties into boundaries, um, I hear it in my office a lot is kind of the long standing consequence of groupthink, family groupthink, or uh, maybe religious groupthink or educational groupthink. This is what we do. This is what we believe. So the best example here I see, and it always comes up during the holidays and it always kind of um, falls into very similar examples, but somebody will be in my office, usually a woman, um, usually a mother, struggling with the holidays, right? What's expected of her um, pleasing multiple family groups or trying to do it all, be it all show up in a million different ways. Um, and you know, she might say something to me like, it's just so exhausting. I don't, I don't want to spend Christmas Eve doing what we've always done. And I'll challenge that and say, well, then why are you? And there's always this long pause and, Kind of this funny look on her face while she realizes, well, I guess I don't have to, but it's that family group think or it's that um, this is how we do things attitude that causes people to just blindly perpetuate the patterns that have been given to them over the years. This is how we always celebrate Christmas Eve. So this is just what we do, never mind what I might actually want to do. Um, or the new traditions we might want to set with our family. Right. Exactly. Um, And this is, this can be found in any area of our life. You know, any value, um, oftentimes our parents kind of deliver values to us when we're little. Well, as we get older, it's our job to evaluate those, challenge them. Do I actually share this value? Is this a priority to me? Um, The same with just different life practices, how you dress, how you decorate your home. Um, I... I had a client once who realized her entire house was decorated in her mother's style. And it was literally like a light bulb went off in my office one day when she realized, I I don't actually like traditional furniture, but I was taught to buy traditional furniture because then it will always be in style. But like, (laughs) I want wicker and I want leather and I want this and I want that. And it's, it's truly this profound experience to just start questioning things what do i believe what do i value what do i pr- prioritize what do i want to do how do i want to spend my time
3: mm-hmm.
2: Anytime we're saying yes to one thing it typically requires saying no to another mm-hmm. yes to working out in the morning means no to sleeping in yes to um you know being on the school board means no to you know one evening a month at home with your family mm-hmm. yes to spending a weekend away taking care of yourself means no to being at home mowing the lawn that weekend, right? I mean, there's, there's always going to be something counterbalancing your choices. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of setting boundaries is just getting comfortable with, okay, well, what do I want to say yes to? And, and
0: what do I not? This episode of, and we go on is sponsored by Flatted Fifth Blues and Barbecue. Come experience where the blues and barbecue of Beale Street meets the jazz and Cajun food of Bourbon Street at this from-scratch kitchen in Bellevue, Iowa. Known for their incredible house-smoked meats and Southern specialties, Flatted Fifth has been featured by Southern Living Magazine, Food and Wine Magazine, and the Iowa Tourism Awards. Grab a bite at Flatted Fifth at their flagship Bellevue, Iowa location in the historic Potter's Mill or at their debut Kitchen Inside Dimensional Brewing Company. For more information, head to pottersmill.net.
1: Kind of going off that a little, you mentioned emotional energy. Can mm-hmm. you kind of
0: tap on a little bit of what that is? How do you define emotional energy?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, to put it simply, it, well, it's not. I don't know. Let me think about this for a minute. Oh, oh it's I probably never simple. No, emotional energy is just that. It is what we are feeling and how what we are feeling is impacting how we're showing up. So people tend to think that the energy we exude is is largely physical. And in fact, research actually shows that more of the energy we feel, or that when when we're talking about energy, more of what we're actually trying to express has to do with emotional energy one of the best ways to kind of articulate this is I hear this all the time too from clients is I am so tired all of the time. And I don't know why I get eight hours of sleep. I sit at a desk all day. It's not like I'm running around, but I am so tired. You know, I rested all weekend and I'm still exhausted. Okay. Well, Maybe it has nothing to do with how many hours of sleep you're getting or how many steps you're taking every day. In fact, it probably has very little to do with those things and a lot more to do with what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your heart. You know, is there unresolved stress that's impacting you? You know, we only have so much bandwidth, so much emotional bandwidth. And and what is taking up that bandwidth? Again, stress, relationships, worries. Um, Are you dealing with mental or emotional health concerns, anxiety, depression, grief, loss? Um, Our emotional energy has a lot more to do with how we show up in the world than our physical energy.
0: That's crazy. Oh, yeah. I would a thousand percent agree. Like, I feel like as an individual, I probably have less emotional energy to expend than most people. And so I know that when I'm tapped and I'm tired, Mm -hmm. it's purely mental for me. Like it's not Mm -hmm. a physical, like exhaustion for sure.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, in our culture, I mean, I think we're really making strides here in the last five, 10 years, as far as just recognizing emotional health and, and how much attention is paid to it. But For the most part, we, at least our generation and previous generations have been taught to ignore all of that, right? Put it aside, go to work, do your thing, take care of the people you love. But I mean, think about how many workplaces support mental health days or even schools, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, high schools should support that. Um, I hear from parents all the time how stressed their high schooler is. Mm -hmm. And I always think, I mean, if they could just take a mental health day once in a while, Um, If we could take an emotional health day once in a while, but we don't because we convince ourselves we have 30 other things that are more important. Mm -hmm.
1: I feel like that was one of the hardest things when I was learning boundaries and just, you know, learning more about myself. And for a long time, I was like, I'm an extrovert. I Mm -hmm. thrive off people. I love being around other people. But I know as I got older, I was like, but. This, the, you know, I it excites me and I'm like alive when I'm around people, but I it drains me. Mm-hmm. So like I have to get better at like retreating to those to those spaces mm-hmm. that where I can get recharged and what you know why I'm emotionally exhausted and why the inside you know why am I anxious or you know stuff like that like putting words to it. And I told my husband recently, I was like, I I. I just feel like some kids don't have the words that they can put behind some of that, mm-hmm. you know, those emotions. And how do we identify some of those emotions just to even put that, you know, attach it to energy,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is kind of wild to think about. Right. Yeah. So in kind of more of like the maintaining boundaries with people, how do you help to manage expectations, especially when it comes to emotional energy from others, whether like no matter what type of relationship, because, you know, you only have so much emotional energy to give, how do you manage those expectations, whether it's internally or externally with others?
2: That I think is something that women in particular struggle with more than men possibly. again, our culture says women are caregivers. Women should put other people first, be a good girl, be nice, you know, always include everyone, but look a certain way while you do it. Um, and that is exhausting. And when we start to buy in to the expectations of the culture around us or other people around us, that is when we are going to find ourselves people pleasing. So people pleasing in its simplest of forms is self-betrayal. People pleasing is when we attempt to control other people's perception of us. Usually that's subconscious. You know, people pleasers aren't out there thinking, you know, I'm going to go and intentionally manipulate this person, but people pleasing is a form of manipulation. It's a form of manipulating how other people view you. I want to be seen as a go-getter. I want to be seen as caring. I want to be seen as, you know, the best friend or the person who you can call in a pinch. So I'm going to make myself into that person. You know, somebody calls and asks you, um, to help them with something. And maybe you, again, you don't have that emotional bandwidth that night. You're exhausted, you're tired. Maybe you're dealing with something personal. Um, maybe it's just cold and you don't want to go, but there's a split second thinking process of, well, I have to be a good friend. I want them to think I'm a good friend. So I'm going to do it even though I don't want to, that Mm -hmm. is people pleasing. That is us trying to manage the expectations other people have for us. But the thing is we can't. And it's not our job to meet anyone else's expectations,
0: especially if it's at the cost of our own mental health. So you and I have talked a lot about how Um, we have a very high expectation of those that like we work with or, um, those we surround ourselves with, but that's not everyone's capacity. Like not everyone's going to be able to meet that bar. So how can others, uh, we, yeah, reframe those expectations that others have for us?
2: You know, it's really normal to have expectations for the people in our life. Um, You know, we expect them to be able to communicate in a certain way or meet certain needs of ours. You know, in any type of relationship, you mentioned work. I think that's a really common issue that a lot of people face is, okay, well, here's my work ethic or here's my expectation for maybe communication or professionalism, but I'm continuously finding myself disappointed or resentful or burnt out because other people aren't rising to my level of what I expect. Yeah. So we can't always expect everyone to rise to our expectations. That's going to lead to burnout Mm. on our part and Mm -hmm. a lot of resentment. Um, So first and foremost, we have to kind of check in with ourselves. Where are these expectations coming from? You know, Nat, earlier you were mentioning that growing up, you felt like there were very clear expectations for you from parents or caregivers or coaches. So even just being aware of that, okay, where is my expectation for professionalism, for time management, for communication coming from? Mm-hmm. What messages have I absorbed over the years and are those right or wrong? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and there might not be an answer. Maybe they're right for me, but they're not right for another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so first and foremost, like I was saying, just kind of checking in with yourself, where are these expectations coming from and being really reasonable I can't expect everyone to do things the same way that I do. They may not be doing them wrong. I may not be doing them right. Mm-hmm. We are just different. Um, you know, we talked about this at She Unites back in November 21. Um, but one of my favorite quotes with regards to boundaries is choose discomfort over resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a Brene Brown qu- quote. She writes about that. I don't even remember which book, um, but Essentially what she is saying is that we have to challenge that notion that in order to, in order to have relationships at all, we just have to be nice and keep the peace, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, she's saying, don't keep the peace. Mm -hmm. Challenge yourself in a moment that might be difficult or tense or uncomfortable to be honest and open because while it may be uncomfortable right now, it is saving you from resentment later. Mm-hmm. We so often don't have the hard conversation. Mm-hmm. We don't say what we need to say. We don't say what we mean out of a fear of rocking the boat. Gosh, I don't want them to think I'm mean. I don't wanna be a, you know one of those people who's always complaining or I don't wanna any tension here. I'll just keep the peace. Well, that only works in the moment and long-term you're going to wind up feeling so resentful. Mm. Um, So, you know, in the work example, we have to kind of ask ourselves, well, what would, what would discomfort over resentment mean here? If I feel like, you know, my coworkers or my teammates or my partner is not holding up their end of the bargain, or, you know, if I'm, feeling like the communication is lacking. I need to address that, however uncomfortable that might be, in hopes that that we can work through it now while it's still possible rather than creating resentment down the road.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, confrontation. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> I feel like we've gotten better. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, out of necessity, I guess, yeah. is how we've grown with it. But But I do feel like that is why I have so
1: much more intentional relationship now. Like my close oh, friends, it's yeah. because we've had those rubs. Mm-hmm. Because we've had that tension or we have worked through that tension. You know, like I feel like the relationships I do have, we've gone through those. And I, would, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, those tensions suck. Right. But I feel like they're worth it. They're mm-hmm. worth it if you want that longevity of kind of that relationship.
2: Well, and you know, you could argue that they're vital. If you hadn't gone through it with some of those friends, if you hadn't mm-hmm. had that discomfort, then chances are the relationship would have died off. Mm-hmm. There would have been sure. a disagreement that created so much hurt or resentment that it either was intentionally and, you know, completely ended or it just kind of gradually faded away. Mm -hmm. So that's why you have some of those longer lasting, more emotionally intimate kind of very safe relationships is because you've done the work.
0: Mm -hmm. So true.
2: Not coincidental.
1: No, even though I hang on, I hang on to things. I don't want to let things go in my personality. We talk about this. Um, Yeah. I I can't even get rid of old shoes, let's be real. Like so when people come in in and I'm throwing things out. Oh yeah, people but things. Yes. But I'm saying when it comes to relationships, it's really hard for me. Like, yeah, it's really hard for me, which that I feel like that's a whole nother topic Mm -hmm. we can talk (laughs) about.
0: Yeah. Um does managing expectations in either direction, does that look different based on the type of relationship it is, whether it's with a friend, with a coworker, a significant other, a parent, a child? Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, obviously there are relationships in our lives that are closer, more emotionally intimate, um, even safer than others. Mm -hmm. And we have to really take an inventory in certain relationships. You know, we can never control another person. Um, similarly, we, we really have to be aware of of how reasonable our expectations for other people are. Obviously, our expectations for you know our neighbors, who we politely smile and wave at, mm-hmm. are going to be different than our best friends, than our partner, than our children, than our parents. So our relationships or our expectations within our relationships are certainly going to vary based on obviously several different factors. Um, whether that relationship is personal or professional, mm-hmm. um, you know, right there, that distinction is going to have a lot to do with maybe the different boundaries we set, um, our expectations, and then also how, how willing we are to really dive into some of that work, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of that pick your battles attitude. Um, if there's the coworker who you see twice a week, who just kind of rubs you the wrong way there, there might be a less confrontational way to approach that.
0: than if this is your partner who you live with, who is hurting you in some way, I guess kind of on the the same train of thought, what about, um, like boundaries and expectations for relationships that have evolved and changed in structure. So whether like, you're you're a coworker and now you're really close friends or like friends to significant other, or how do those, like, what's a healthy way for those boundaries to change and evolve? Talking about it. Yeah. Really transparently. Um,
2: obviously if a relationship is evolving in a positive way and you're becoming closer, sometimes we need to very transparently identify, okay, well, how are our boundaries changing here within this relationship? And And I always encourage my clients to kind of draw the line when creating boundaries, the line between this is what is okay. This is what is not okay. This is what feels safe to me. This is what does not feel safe to me. This is what I will tolerate. This is what I will not. And really being just that clear, just that simple, drawing that line and asking yourself those questions. What is okay? What is not? what is safe, what is not. It helps to identify, especially as a relationship is changing, you know, um, gosh, we were just coworkers. Now we're best friends or, you know, we were neighbors and now we're dating. Um, as relationships evolve into something closer, we're going to see different boundaries, different expectations. And similarly, as relationships evolve into something that's maybe not quite as close, um, you know, a friendship that is clearly just kind of at a point where it's not what it used to be, what you used to share with that person, you may no longer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that has to be clearly defined, you know, this, this just doesn't feel like a safe conversation to me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if this
1: will make sense or not, but so if you're in a relationship that say you became friends really quick and It wasn't what you thought it was going to be, and how do you go to setting those boundaries when things just happen quick? Mm -hmm. Like you're not just aware, like all of a sudden, just like over. I mean, not over time, I should say, like within you know a six month period. Mm -hmm. I feel like you became friends really quick. Things were
2: going super well, and then a few things kind of popped up that you're like, "Ooh." You start to recognize maybe we don't mesh as well as I thought, or maybe we don't share as many values as I thought. Maybe we we just aren't as good of a fit. Right. But it happened so quick. So inevitably, you know what I mean? What if you're like,
1: Oh, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's here, you know, this friendship is here, this partnership is here. And you're just like, you know what I guess. Yeah. How
2: do you, there's no framework already. already. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's a tricky situation to navigate. And, and let me be clear, nobody does any of this flawlessly. You know, if if all of our lives were scripted as beautifully as, you know, an episode of Grey's Anatomy or new girl, Mm. (laughs) Uh, Amen. everyone, I mean, we'd all be happier. We'd, everything would be so much easier and, you know, there'd be a lot less pain in relationships, but that's just the thing. There are no Hollywood writers scripting these conversations for us. We don't have the ability to see into the future. So yeah, sometimes you meet somebody and it's exciting, whether it's romantic or platonic, you know, oh my gosh, this person, they're great. I'm so excited about them. We mesh, you start to spend a ton of time together. Um, and then all of a sudden it's kind of like almost you you may feel trapped or mm-hmm. um, kind of stuck in a dynamic that no longer works for you. Mm-hmm. So part of that is understanding I am not responsible for anybody else's feelings. I am allowed to let relationships evolve naturally. One of the biggest mistakes that I think we've all made at some point is trying to force a relationship that either isn't working, or maybe a relationship that has just evolved beyond its its timeline. Right? Relationships will come and go in our lives. Some serve a purpose. Some are just fun and kind of fleeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and these can be friendships. These can be partnerships. These can be romantic relationships. But not all relationships are meant to last forever, and not all relationships are meant to reach a certain level of intimacy, emotional intimacy. And when we realize that that's happening you're allowed to, to set limits. Um, Hey, look, I love hanging out with you, um, but I'm really trying to prioritize, you know, some quality time with my family, or I'm really trying to prioritize some more quiet time with myself. Um, Hey, you know, I've noticed that when we get together, you know, we tend to drink too much wine or we do a lot of gossiping and that doesn't feel good to me. And so you know, I'm, I'm really trying to make some healthy changes for myself. Here's what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Those are hard conversations to have, though, right? Discomfort mm-hmm. over resentment.
1: Mm. Going back to that. Yeah. Huge. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I think those are life lessons that are are really hard to learn early, mm-hmm. especially when you have friendships like going from high school to college mm-hmm. and then those like post-college friendships.
0: Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they look very different. Mm hmm.
3: And
1: then you add a partner in there Mm -hmm. and then you add, you know, a transplant or, you know, moving or coming back from Mm -hmm. all those variables. Um, That is hard because even um, like I I went to college here in Dubuque, I had friends here in Dubuque, I had a community and then I left for a while and then I came back and that community looked different. Mm -hmm. And that was probably one of the hardest transitions coming back to that community um, and having these expectations that people were still going to be the same. And that was, that's not fair to anyone else. Like I had those expectations and, Mm -hmm. you know, people grow and we evolve and, you know, and that, and then you throw kids into the mix and, you know, here we are. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I like, I like that. Um, I wish I would have learned that early on.
0: Oh yeah. So it's all like very easy to say that, oh yeah, we have this clear conversation about how we're setting boundaries with people not everyone's gonna take that conversation well. So like for people who aren't honoring those boundaries that you are setting for them, like what's the next step if they're not hearing that or they don't wanna have that conversation? Which just makes my stomach turn for anyone that's going through that because right? I know how hard it is because I've been there
1: and it's such a hard conversation. And then just like that next step of like, cause mm-hmm. it, you know, it, may, it makes it, your heart hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. So
2: this is a very common fear as people are learning to set boundaries. What if other people don't like them? What if other people get mad? What if they push back? Um, the thing is, as a general rule, the only people who will have a problem, who will take issue with your healthy boundaries are the people who are benefiting from you, not Having any
1: mm-hmm. the people Adele and I were both like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Me, like yeah I feel that <laughs> She's in the deepest of my core I'm
3: like
2: mm-hmm. when you set boundaries the people who will make a fuss are the people who are inconvenienced by your new boundaries mm. and setting boundaries healthy boundaries will often bring out the emotional immaturity of those that you're trying to set them with. So you might, you know, be really working on creating healthy dynamics in your relationships, setting limits for your time, your energy, your resources. You might be learning how to say no. You might be learning how to express what you're comfortable with and what you're not in a certain relationship. And unfortunately, you might get some pretty nasty feedback, things Like, um, oh, I liked you better before you got all healthy (laughs) or, oh, I see you're so much better than us now. Or, oh gosh, what a know it all. You think you're so above it, right? That's emotional immaturity in somebody who feels threatened by your growth,
0: Mm -hmm. So is it then just as simple as, okay, this relationship doesn't serve me anymore by, is it that simple? Like if they're not honoring it,
2: it can be, if you want it to be, unfortunately it, it doesn't always feel that simple though. Right. You know, what if we're talking about a family member, yeah. a parent, a sibling, what if we are talking about a best friend? It, it doesn't always feel that simple. Sometimes it feels very, very painful to look at them and see, okay. They're not respecting my boundaries, or maybe they're not growing in the same direction I am. And that doesn't mean maybe that they're not growing at all, but maybe they're growing in a different direction. Values are shifting just differently. Priorities are shifting differently. Maybe you're in a different stage of life. Um and it can mean this no longer works for me, this no longer serves me. It's no longer safe for me. I have to end this relationship. Sometimes we can do that very clearly, very blatantly. Sometimes it's honestly more comfortable and feels safer to us to just kind of let it fade away.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there ever a situation where compromising your boundaries is appropriate?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I never thought about that. I think so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, kind of going back to that idea of checking in with yourself, what's okay, what's not, what's safe, what's not. Um you know, being willing to recognize that um our boundaries do need to be flexible. We don't we don't want to see boundaries that are so rigid that they actually isolate us. They keep everybody out, they keep everybody at an arm's length. So if you consider boundaries as kind of existing on a continuum on one side of that continuum, we have very, very rigid boundaries. On the other side, we have very, very loose boundaries. So on the rigid side, again, you're going to see people who don't have very many close relationships. um, Very few, if any, in fact, close or intimate relationships or the ones that they do have maybe are more surface level. They're not truly intimate. Um, You're going to see people who isolate themselves or just don't open up or get close to anyone. On the other end of that continuum, you have very, very loose boundaries. This is the tendency to, again, be a people pleaser, um, overshare. We see this a lot. I'm going to open up to the person at the coffee shop and the person next to me in line. And I'm going to, you know, I have a million best friends and I tell them all the most private, intimate details of my life just in an effort to be seen, heard, liked, appreciated. Um, I'm oversharing personal details about maybe my health or my relationships or my stressors, my finances, whatever it might be, because I just, I just want people to approve of me or I want them to relate to me or like me. Mm, I feel that on a lot of levels. So that's the oversharing, the people-pleasing side of things. We we want to aim for somewhere in the middle, for mm-hmm. flexible boundaries. Here are the places, the times, the situations where I'm comfortable compromising. Here are the people and the groups in my life where I feel safe, maybe stepping outside of my comfort zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe I tend to be a more private person, but with this select group of women or friends, I'm willing to open up and say, hey, life's really hard in this one particular way right now. And I need, I need somebody to hear that. Mm -hmm. Those are flexible boundaries. Those are situations where we can create compromise. And that is where we're really going to find comfort in our boundaries.
0: So for those who probably have like more of like the rigid boundaries, but like they crave like those close intimate intimate relationships. relationships, but it's like, these are the boundaries I have, but like, they're keeping me from those kinds of relationships I want. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: So our boundaries can absolutely get in the way of the relationships that we want. If you are craving closer friendships, um, or just different relationships with certain people, but your boundaries are so rigid, you're not letting anyone in, Mm -hmm. or you're constantly worrying about, you know, how do I appear to other people, um, trying to project this image of perfection. Mm -hmm. Well, what are the, what are the chances you're actually going to have a close relationship with this person? Mm -hmm. They're not getting an authentic version of you. And in fact, they're probably going to be somewhat maybe intimidated or put off because who wants to be around somebody who is perfect all of the time, mm-hmm. right? If you're never willing to open up and let somebody in to the different vulnerabilities you experience, it's going to be hard to create closeness and that's in any type of relationship. Mm-hmm. A co-working relationship, a friendship, a intimate relationship. I mean, true intimacy requires vulnerability mm-hmm. and so i think it's certainly possible and i and i do see this that sometimes we're hoping for a certain level of emotional intimacy or emotional closeness in a relationship but we're not willing to do the work, to right. get there. We have these very strict boundaries. Maybe we expect other people to open up to us, to come to us or to share or be authentic with us, but we don't offer
0: that in return. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be met with very inauthentic relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like how how do they move into that more like neutral territory of flexible boundaries? If like the wall is so high, the boundaries are so rigid, how do you even begin to break that down for people? <sighs> A lot of that
2: would come down to trying to understand where that pattern comes from in yourself Mm -hmm. a little bit more. You know, obviously doing a little bit of work. Why are my boundaries so rigid? Why do I tend to keep others at a distance? What feels so unsafe to me about vulnerability? Um, Again, going back to the messages we've been sent throughout our life, was I taught either directly or inadvertently to? you know, always present this image of perfection? Was I taught directly or inadvertently to, you know, be very private? Um, Again, that goes back to some of that family group thing, right? think, right? We don't share private details about our family. We don't talk about what's going on in our family. You know, that's only for us to know. So one, I would say, examine the messages you've received over your life. Two, are you ready and willing to do some of that work? you know, be it self-help reading books, um, journaling, kind of going on a a health journey, if you will, or therapy, whatever it might take in order to kind of figure out what is comfortable for you and what's not.
1: That was one of my goals for 2023 is to journal more. Oh, Mm -hmm. journaling
2: is hard for people. It's so therapeutic, but it can be hard. Yes, I always tell people to try to get rid of the like, Dear diary expectation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And just start with lists. Yes. Start with bullet points. What well, here's what's on my mind. I usually do highs and lows. Yeah. Highs and lows, or here are three things that I was worrying about today, or just even create like a to-do list kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good place to start. It gets you comfortable with that idea mm-hmm. of writing your thoughts down. But it can be can be a good, a nice little segue into actual journaling. But journaling also never, I mean, it never has to look like the dear diary kind of stuff from oh. middle school. No, no. It's just stream of consciousness.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's so therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Adele and I were talking about this. I'm like, sometimes I worry about like where my thoughts are going to go and like, what's going to come down on that piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Ooh, am I ready for this? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Like I might not be ready to reread this for like a good five years. Yeah, but I'm here and I'm journaling. I'm trying. I'm putting in the effort. Yes, I'm trying. So yeah, you got to start somewhere, right? You yes. to put in the work somewhere. So right. here we are. <clears throat> yeah. But you know, that makes I feel like we, I feel like, I hope you're starting a book here soon in the next like five to 10 years. Oh yes. Long-term
2: goal. Oh, yeah. so fantastic. I hope so.
1: Because I feel like you have a lot of things that we've touched on with She Unites and then our high school girls program called Rise. And I, I just feel like you have touched on so many awesome things that people are just like craving, mm-hmm. you know, craving to hear, craving to talk about and, um, challenging, you know, mm-hmm. people want, I think people want to be educated and people want to be challenged, especially in this area. But, um, like where can people find you? If they had questions, I would say like, after they listen to this, where can people, you know, can they reach out to compass? Are you taking online clients? Or are you only taking in-person clients? Like, tell us a little bit more, like if someone had questions for you, what would that look like?
2: Absolutely. Um, yes. Reach out to me through compass. Um, for sure. The very best way to reach me is always going to be email. Mm-hmm. Um, my email address is my full name, Megan Amos at dbq.com That can also be found on our website, um, which is www.compasscounselingdbq.com.
0: Probably close out with some, some quick questions here. Oh yeah. I'm so excited. our first one to do some quick questions. Oh, right. my gosh. So no pressure and they don't have to be quick. You can, you can think about it yeah, for a yeah. minute. <laughs> um, so much pressure, mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. Um, who is a woman that inspires you? Okay. So Nat cheated and she told me about this <gasps> question.
2: and I've been thinking about this and I'm really not great at like keeping up with pop culture. I'm not I'm not, I'm just not. Um, and I was, I've really been thinking about this for the last whatever, 24 hours and everyone who came to mind are just people in our immediate community, Mm, right? Like conversations that I've had recently with certain women or, um, interactions like this one or at rise, right? Like just hearing women, um, who are trying to pursue professional development or personal development. I feel like I take inspiration even from some of my clients, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm in awe of my clients who are being so vulnerable and they're working so hard to make changes and not everyone can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think I just, I try to take inspiration from all sorts of women around me. Mm -hmm. Um, I just can't, I'm not great at coming up with like this one awesome, you know, I wish I had like this go-to answer, (laughs) like, oh, this. That's okay.
0: Yeah. You know, because something doesn't have to be big or famous to right. be impactful.
1: No, not no. at all. I even think about some of my professors I had. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Like I had some amazing mm-hmm. professors that really
0: yes. were game changer in my life. So Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let's see. What content are you currently consuming? That can be books, podcasts, TV, mm-hmm. movies, music. So I really, one of my goals for 2023 is
2: to get into listening to more podcasts. So I have nothing in that category. Reading, I have been consuming a lot of Maggie Dent lately. Mm-hmm. Maggie Dent is a child development expert um from oh my gosh, I should know this, Australia. Um but her work is phenomenal. I cannot get enough. I am currently reading two of her books, one on raising little girls and one on raising little boys because I have one or I have two little girls and one little boy. Um but I share a lot of her work with my clients too. Mm -hmm. Um, She does a ton of work on just the emotional development, Mm -hmm. particularly of little ones, but also her work goes all the way through adolescence or her research does through adolescence and in the teenage years Um, and it's so relevant and it is so powerful. So I've been reading a lot of her books and blog posts lately um, I don't watch a ton of TV. In fact, our TV doesn't even go on Monday through Thursday in our house. But it's impressive. I do put on a little Netflix when I'm riding my bike every day. That's the only time I ever watch anything like that. And because of what I do, it has to be light. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to get into like any super serious dramas. Um, you know the This Is Us fan club. Oh. I I can't relate. That, that's your all day. Oh, it is. is. It's my all day and. Back to emotional energy. I'm depleted by the end of the day. I have been sitting with people, you know. Going through it with them. Going through it with them all day. And then I come home and I have three very little humans who need all of my emotional energy. So by the time I get on my bike at night after bedtime, I need... The new girl stuff. I yeah. need, <laughs> you know, just something shits Creek, right. Oh, where I'm going to laugh, laugh, where I can quote it, where I can repeat it. And it's just really light half the time I, I zone out. Um, So that's kind of where my TV consumption lies. What does a uh, community look like for you? Oh, it's gotten so much more simple with age, just oh.
0: inclusion and ease,
2: mm. right? It has oh. to be
0: easy. Oh yeah.
2: I like that. Yeah.
0: I love it. Simple definition. Mm -hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah. Do you have a beverage of choice?
2: Oh, I have so many beverages of choice. (laughs) What time of day is it? What day of the week is it? Total guilty pleasure. Diet Dr. Pepper. Mm Oh,
1: like once a quarter, I have a fountain Dr. Pepper.
2: Once a quarter. (laughs) Oh, I mean, like I may have a diet Dr. Pepper once a day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a few friends that are like Diet Coke hardcore.
2: Oh, yes, I have a friend who consumes more Diet Coke, possibly, than water. Oh, geez. Yes. <laughs> That's funny, the Dr. Pepper, because I don't feel like I meet a lot of people that like Dr. Pepper. Well, it has to be
1: Diet Dr. Pepper. Diet okay. Dr. Pepper. Mm. Yeah. They taste different.
0: They do. I mean, I mean, people who are soda people, like, they can tell.
1: Yeah, for sure. But mine can't be out of can. Like, if I'm going to drink it, it
2: has to At be a <gasps> drink. To oh. I drink. be a fountain. Well, I'm just really impressed with this one's a quarter thing. <laughs> It's like on a schedule, like quarterly do schedule taxes are due. Do? do you schedule it? <laughs> I should. i Put it now. on your calendar let know really like, hey, I'm waiting at <laughs> Dr. Pepper today. Like, please don't interrupt this day. No, I don't know. It's just random how
1: when I'm like, mm. I don't know. Maybe it's usually like car rides. Oh, yes. Like if we stop at a gas station, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to need a fountain soda. Yes. <laughs> it's like a treat. <laughs> I know.
3: What's
0: a for I don't know. I feel like you've said that before though. So it's gotta be accurate. I
1: know. It's funny. That is amazing. um, Okay. What's like your uh, drink of choice, like on the weekend,
2: like if you and cold out, what is it? Oh, it depends on the meal. Mm, Yeah, that's true. It does. If I'm going to have a glass Mm. of wine, Chardonnay, Mm -hmm. hands down. Um, If I'm going to have a beer, any IPA. Mm I, um, worked at an ale house throughout grad school. And so I learned a lot about beer and that was really fun. I would have never guessed that about you. Oh yeah. Oh. I learned a lot about beer, craft beer, making beer, tasting, all the things. So, um, so you're really up and up on like when the whole craft beer scene like came in, I was back then. I mean, I can't totally keep up anymore. Yeah. Again, that mental bandwidth that's yeah. all <laughs> gone away. Right.
0: There are other things but um, any IPA, I really love an IPA. It's okay, I mean, if she's drinking IPA, she's already light years ahead of most of the people in this area. So, <laughs> well, I have become a bit of a beer snob. Like I, I, I can't, I can't drink a Bush Light, which
2: makes me like anti Dubuque, mm-hmm. and I grew up here, so mm.
3: it's
2: like okay. water here. Mm, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's okay. That's funny.
1: <laughs> well, thank you again for yes. being with us. Thank you so much. Always, you're always um, a such a delight to have. Oh. So. And all of your knowledge you share with us, we really appreciate it. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to And We Go On. Check out our show notes for links and additional education. We would love to hear from you. So please leave us a review.
1: Be the first to sponsor And We Go On, a She Unites podcast. Get your name out in the community, in person and online. For more info, email sheunitesiowa at
0: gmail.com. She Unites is a 501c3 nonprofit organization registered in the state of Iowa. We are proud to be a 100% donation-supported organization. Our spaces, speakers, and programming are all gifted by those who support our vision because we are better together. If you feel compelled to join us in the She Unites mission, please donate at sheunitesiowa.com.
1: Follow us on Instagram at sheunitesiowa for the latest and greatest from our organization.